0: Welcome to the Afternoon Show. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm excited to talk to Richard Barr uh, because he's right now with me in my studio, so now would be a perfect time to uh, do that. We're going to talk today about service as a discipline, and Richard is a guy who is all about service. Uh, He's been a lifelong resident here in the Twin Cities, but, boy, does he have a passion for service, and he's written a couple books on top of it. One is called Amazed, why the humanity of Jesus matters, and those people, the true character of the homeless. And Richard, always nice to see you, and thanks for coming and being part of the show today.
1: Well, as I told you offline, Bill, I mean, I appreciate the generosity of you and Rosie allowing (laughs) me to come on the show. I think it's great. I always love the conversations.
0: Yeah, it is. And we're always thinking around Thanksgiving time, what are we doing for others? How are we serving others? And you're, uh, you serve year-round, so this is what you do. And I love your passion for the homeless and your passion for coming alongside the people sort of on the fringe of society. But well, let's let's talk today about service as a discipline.
1: Yeah, so I just, you know, I think this is a perfect time of the year to have this conversation because um, a lot of people turn to be thinking about those in need. People are looking for places to serve. You know, I, I get countless questions. Asks like, uh, "Hey, I'd like my kids to serve in a soup kitchen." Which I'm still trying to figure out what a soup kitchen is, but <laughs> but people have this illusion that there's soup kitchens around and that we want to bring our kids to them and and show them teach how good they have it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Teach, teach them what to serve. But 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 the 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 root of that is some sort of a desire in us to try to reach out and and to bless others in the way that we've been blessed. And so I, I so I take those questions serious. And those are this is a great time of the year for somebody to kind of maybe put their training wheels on and, and step in to try to serve.
0: So just because you haven't been on the show in a while and we have tons of new listeners, uh, give the, uh, the listeners a little bit of a snippet into uh, your most recent book, which was Those People, The True Character of the Homeless.
1: So that is a character study of friends of mine. I think there's about two dozen friends of mine in the book that have uh, amazing and deep character. And it was kind of my memorializing my observations about them and, and my appreciation for who they are. Um, it was something I kind of woke up to mm-hmm. as I'm dealing with people. And I, I realized that, man, there's some people with some really great deep faith and people that really, really know how to be unselfish and know how to love, uh, generous that are um, uh, have great tenacity mm-hmm. and just started kind of putting these stories together. And then kind of examining myself and quite frankly, where I fall short in really all of those things. And I think it's unexpected. You know, we don't see somebody in the homeless community and think about their character and and the and the best things about them. But um, story after story in this book are people that I've, I've come to know and I come to love and, and appreciate and respect. And so I just wanted to share those stories with other people and maybe in some way break down the paradigm about who we might think the homeless are. And probably the bigger lesson behind it is, is that how we judge other people. It's the old book by its cover, right?
0: Yeah. And you are the kind of person, rare, I think, you will break patterns and you will be in your car and you'll pull up to a corner and there'll be a homeless person. Not only will you connect with them, look them in the eye, uh, talk to them and give them something, but you will start a relationship. And if you're back the next day, you now know that person's name, and it could be that three or four weeks later, he's sitting at your table at Thanksgiving in your home.
1: That's amazing stuff. So, uh, yeah, that is a chain of events. That's a real thing. But I know. Let's just be clear that that's like kind of uncommon, but oh, it has very. actually happened. Has yeah. actually, yeah, yeah, has actually happened. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so your love for the uh, peoples on the fringe. A lot of people get very nervous. You know, if they see someone approaching them for money, uh, everybody freaks out. And the question they want to ask is, what should I do? They're just going to use it for drugs.
1: Yeah. And so I was just asked that question this morning at an engagement that we had, like, which, how do I deal with panhandlers? And so my recommendation was to buy the book.
0: <laughs> and you being the, the, the panhandler right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: yeah My handout. Yeah. yeah. So we do talk about in the book some tips about dealing with panhandlers. I but- want a free
0: one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to buy the book. <laughs> I mean, my listeners can but I'm not. <laughs> I host a radio show. You should give yeah, me the book.
1: You, I should just answer that question. Yeah. So, um, it, uh, dealing with panhandlers or homeless or or people that are in those kind of vulnerable spots, I think is a very individualistic thing mm-hmm. in terms of our approach. And I think we have to really seek the promptings of the Holy Spirit to determine what we should step in. I have lots of women that say to me, there is no way I'm ever going to roll my window down and give anything to anybody. And I would never urge that person to I do wouldn't that. I would however, however, because let's just say she, because she even asked me that question, it means that she's being prompted to step into something. Mm. So then the question is, what is she called to step into? So to use that as a prompting to to take action and to mm. move
0: Mm-hmm. Richard Barr is my guest. You can learn more about him at RichardBahr. dot com. Let's get back to uh, service as a discipline. Speak about that, Richard.
1: <laughs> that would be my time to speak. Yeah, I think you it would. be. I was, I was, I was reading. You know, I was, I was revisiting a, a book, "The Spirit of Disciplines" by Dallas Willard, and um, there's, I think, seven disciplines in there, and service is one of them. And I was, I was contemplating that as I was thinking about this show, and I was thinking about he talks about. Um, Talks about conversion versus transformation mm-hmm. in the book. Conversion versus transformation. I think there's a real parallel there between probably justification and sanctification, right? And and um, uh, there's a there's an example about how when we get when we get married, uh, you know, years and years later, we're still married. Like we're still married, right? Just like when we decide to follow Jesus, we commit our lives. We can confess our faith. You know, we're justified, so we are we enter into God's kingdom, into that grace. And and yet, in our marriage, it's the investment in that marriage, it's the acts, it's the things that we do in it that really make it a rich relationship. So, I think that that's the, the transformational part that we seek, is that we step into any of the spiritual disciplines, not just service, but if we're speaking about service today, it's actually the acts in those things that really enrich our relationship.
0: Hmm. I like that a lot. So it's not that we have to do things. We get to do things. Yeah. We're not trying to earn anything. We're trying to um, bear fruit.
1: So I was looking up, so I know that, and I know that some listeners are, everybody's in different place in their faith. So some of this might be kind of geeky, weird stuff, but like Martin Luther, how he didn't love the book of James and Mm -hmm. the whole faith without works. And he gets kind of a rap on that. Like, like, and because luther was really a big grace guy, right? I mean, that's in and, and he the, the the what he was coming out of uh he saw grace as being a key element, but i actually found a quote by luther that was very interesting that's that he said um uh he said that it's impossible to separate the burning and the shining from a fire.
0: Ooh, i have to think about that one.
1: And i So I haven't. I didn't dig further than that, but I thought that kind of changed my whole thinking about Luther and this whole rap that he gets about, about you know, faith without works is dead. That's the big. That's probably the key verse that Mm -hmm. he would have taken issue with. But yet, the same person apparently said it's impossible to separate burning and shining from a fire. Mm -hmm. So it's really it's the faith that leads us to works. And before I I I faithfully followed Jesus, I unfortunately uh understood some bad theology where, I mean, I was an addict. I mean, I had a lot of things going on in my life, and I felt like I needed to clean myself up. I needed to get better before I would be worthy. And I just wonder how many people are still out there that don't understand the truth about that. And so it wasn't until I was broken down and finally surrendered, you know, where I made that decision, made that commitment— that then God began to activate in my life, so I I had those things backwards for a long time, and it just breaks my heart to think that there are still people that don't understand that.
0: Mm-hmm. Richard, if you would talk further about this being surrendered idea, I know this is something we hear often, but how do you how did you walk that out? Yes. I know it's a big question.
1: It, yeah, yeah. Is this a three hour show today? Two
0: hours. Two hours. Hour yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if this next answer doesn't go well, I'm going to cut it down yeah, to 30 right. minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm I'm active in the recovery circles. And I know so that. that's a big word that it we is use word. is surrender, yeah, right? I know. Yeah. And so that gets flung I, around a lot. Yeah. So. I've got
0: George Fraser on after
1: you. Yeah. Oh, today. yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. So we'll talk I'm about sorry, it. I'm, sure. I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, I Hi, get George. it. I get Hi, it. Thank <laughs> you for your sympathy. <laughs> Be nice to see you again, George. Um, yeah, so I I initially surrendered to drugs and alcohol and uh, entered recovery, some traditional recovery programs, and was able to be clean. Um, but what I wasn't was I wasn't free, mm-hmm. and so there turned out to be a, about a fifteen year gap in figuring that out. So I was surrendered to uh, the probably the most prevalent and damaging thing in my life, but just not. I, so I always tell people to recovery meetings, the only thing God wants from us is everything, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and so I hadn't, I wasn't willing to give him everything. And so it wasn't until another crisis in my life, 15 years into recovery, in quotes, that uh, I needed to make that complete surrender. And that's when things really, really begin to change for me.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I, I love this story because I love stories of transformation And
1: tell me more. So I began to go to a church. I uh, got married to my current beautiful wife, Carla, and was in a men's Bible study. So I'm trying to walk out some of these disciplines. Uh Not knowing what I was doing, but trying to to add things to my life, trying to get rid of the bad and replace it with the better. And how things happened was about 2000, I don't know, five. There were several things. I mean... My The business that I had tanked, and we ran out of cash and didn't have any money and didn't know what we were going to do, and that was a crisis of faith for me to surrender my business to God and to trust my finances to God, and that's when we began to tithe was immediately after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007 or eight, a friend of mine that was serving oatmeal and grits out of the back of his van on Curry Avenue, downtown Minneapolis, outside the Salvation Army, Needed some help, and I stepped in to join him. And so now that's a full fledged ministry that's been running for 14 years. That serves the homeless every single day. I still have an open invite to both of you to come at 4:30 in the morning to yeah. serve with us.
0: Awkward pause. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm up but, anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. But but the Don't, point is, I'd is be happy to come.
1: We we literally we literally have dedicated teams. Uh, seven teams that serve each a day of the week. I know it's an amazing ministry that all
0: started out of this little. It's
1: amazing that God has provided for this all these years. I mean, it is not us. I mean, there's no way that it's us.
0: Yeah, no, I I think I'm going to take a little break and then come back. And I want to hear more of the details of that because I think it's a fascinating story and I don't care what Rosie thinks. You know, I really, (laughs) (laughs) she's given me. The, the look right now. Just go to break, Bill. All right. All right. We'll be right back. Richard Barr is my guest. You can learn more about Richard at RichardBarr, He's the author of the book, Amazed, and also the author of Those People, the True Character of the Homeless. We'll be right back. Let's get serious about service. What a great time to talk about it as we are faced with this wonderful Thanksgiving holiday coming up next week. And acts of service is a discipline. My guest is Richard Barr. He's authored a couple books, but more importantly, he is a man of service. And he has personally delivered over 30,000 pairs of socks to friends on the street. And he's met the homeless, he's learned their names, he establishes relationships with them, and he spends evenings in homeless shelters and other places where homeless people may hang out. He connects with them, he encourages them, helping them to meet not only their basic needs, but he also tells them about the hope that he has in Jesus. So, Richard, let's talk about how, we, how do we flip the switch from maybe a, a one-and-done kind of volunteer event to something that's a part of who
1: you are and what you do? So one of my roles is to I orient our new volunteers that come <clears throat> down to our breakfast. And first of all, somebody that is willing to get up and to head to a city. So I'm near Minneapolis. So to come to downtown Minneapolis uh, at 430 in the morning, they already have some degree of dedication slash insanity already, <laughs> right? So, yeah. um, So there's already something stirring in them to do something of some significance. And I always ask them, one question after their shift finishes, and I asked them, if anything, what surprised them? And uh, the reason I asked the question is that I already know the answer. Uh, And so the typical answer would be something along the lines of people are more gracious than I thought they'd be. People were, like, way more thankful than I would have thought they would be. Which is always very interesting to me it's like so why do we put on the homeless that they would be anything other than gracious and thankful like why would we do that so that's probably another show i don't know but yeah
0: we think of them as needy yeah and and needy people are just needy
1: yeah needy and whiny and yeah. whatever right. and and does that happen absolutely it does but yeah. i've seen that happen in retail environments me too. you know so yeah. Yeah. um and then I ask them, I invite them to come back. And so I get one of two responses. I either get um, kind of a blank stare, like, yeah, sure, right, yeah, I'll be back, which means I will not be back. Kind of like uh, how I said
0: to you, yeah. yeah <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, I'd love to come yeah, down I'd love sometime. To. My eyes got all bugged yeah, out. Yeah, yeah okay.
1: right, insincerely. So, <laughs> or the other response would be, uh, no, I don't need to think about it. Like, what day do you need help? Oh, wow. I mean, it's literally, it's that polarizing. And so, I think when I think there's a process of almost maybe experimentation, like to not be discouraged, like, uh, thank, thank God that he does place the burden to serve different people groups on people's hearts. Like I've got several friends that, uh, adopt kids, uh, in our small group right now, there's a couple that's attempting to adopt a kid from, uh, I forget what country, but some, somewhere in what we would call the former Eastern block. Right. And, um, I look at them and I'm like, I have no idea why you'd want to. I mean, thank you for that, but mm-hmm. not my jam, like forever. And he's like, I would so much rather adopt this kid than serve breakfast with you in the morning, right? <laughs> so, so we have this different burden and yeah. different different skills, and so sometimes it takes us a bit of time to kind of figure out what that is. And when we do, I think that's the point where we need to flip that switch and we need to decide, okay, so God's place this burden on my heart and I feel like I'm really equipped and to step into this thing. And so what kind of commitment am I going to make? You know, how am I going to exercise what I've just discovered about myself?
2: I
0: love that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Richard Barr is my guest and we are talking about, uh, having a, uh, a spirit of discipline and having service be a discipline. And I appreciate, uh, Richard, our conversation about the, the switch flipping, um, I love the person that says, well, fine, I'll be back. What day do you need me? And I think that is uh, kind of a confirmation that, that the Holy Spirit is nudging you, saying, I think you found a ministry to be a part of for a time being.
1: Yeah, so I, I, was, I thought of another analogy driving over, here, and it's one that I stole from a recovery meeting I heard not that long ago. So the guy got up and he said, you know, I've been to jail. I've been to jail many times. And he says, I never once went to jail for what I thought. He said, I only went to jail for what I did,
0: mm, I right? I like it, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so think about, um, boy, just about everybody probably within our voices right now either has served or has been involved in service or certainly has contemplated, thought about, desired, planned. Um, and when I'm talking about serving, I'm talking about f- finding the, the, the thing that causes you that ache, you know, Bill, you've got yours. You know, I I know a little bit about what you ministry you step into, and and so it just gives you that ache, like it's almost like I need to do this. I Absolutely. need to be part of this. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so to identify that that vulnerable people group where there's that need, and and to move towards that because it's we can think about it, but what we really need to do is we need to act and step into it, and that's what becomes transformational. And none of us that serve faithfully. On a regular basis, do it for our own benefit, but we'll all say the same thing. Mm-hmm. That I mean, God's grace has washed over us and has given us so much more than we could possibly have ever given.
0: Yeah. Richard, what are some of the uh transformational things you've seen happen in your life as a result of uh years and years and years of service? Well, I would
1: I like to say that uh God ruined my plans. Nice. But he improved my life. Nice. So I was a high-tech CEO, sold my business, retired. Um, And I was already stepping into this stuff prior to that having happened. But um, the stereotype for me would be, you know, move to Florida, play golf all the time, have a big boat. And I do have a house in Florida. And I do go down there. But when we go down there, what do we do? Every Wednesday morning, we're serving up in Cape Coral at a homeless ministry. That's what we do. So we're trying to bless them with our time there too, right? So... um, uh, what was the question, Bill?
0: <laughs> what are some of the things that ways in which you can say God has transformed me as What's a result the, of these years of service?
1: So the the, the transformation has really taken place term, in terms of my the way that we spend our money, the way we spend our time. I uh-huh. mean, Carla, who day in and day out runs our our nonprofit threshold in New Life. Um, I mean, every single day of our lives, we're thinking, planning, scheming, serving praying, planning uh, it's it's a total immersion and it's something that I I wouldn't have planned for myself, didn't see it coming uh, but it's just kind of God's just kind of gently slipped it onto us within the capacity that He's given us to handle
0: it.-hmm And talk about the threshold to, to new life that's threshold the number two. Newlife.org. You can learn more about that there. Say more about that.
1: So it's a nonprofit that helps people with housing insecurity in the greater Minneapolis-St. Paul areas, what our geogra- geography is, uh, God uh, willing. It looks like we'll be on pace to help 600 families with either keeping or obtaining their housing this year. And we do that by s- providing small matching grants. We like to say we and we work with the clients to help them solve their problems to so try to give them a hand up, not a handout.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really amazing because <laughs> when you lose your housing, you are r- homeless.
1: You're homeless, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then I meet him in the evenings. Yeah. Yeah, that happens.
0: Yeah. Um, we have time for one 60-second story of some homeless person that has really left an impression on you.
1: A friend of mine, Kirk, met him 10 years ago, I served him a bowl of grits on Curry Avenue. Uh, geographic location to try to improve his life, came up here to start to adult I think, and uh, bumpy road over 10 years that we've known each other up and down. I told him, I said, you got a friend in me, you got a friend for life. And so I've stuck with him the entire way. Uh, I talked to him about surrender. and He called it the S word because he didn't want to say it all. I said, I'm not ready to surrender. He said, I'm not ready for the S word yet. That's mm-hmm. what he would tell me. Uh, I was diagnosed with colon rectal cancer in January. On uh, February, it metastasized, passed away in September. And during that process, i um, God brought him to that place to surrender, and we talked about that, and he said, you know, cancer sucks, but he said if this is a result that it's taken this for me to surrender, oh. said I'm good with that. So wow. uh, I performed his funeral for his family, um, and we've talked about him in our nonprofit. Uh, it was a great story. It was a great relationship, a big blessing to me.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Richard Barr has been my guest. You can learn more about Richard at Richard com. See a couple of his books. One's called Amaze Why the Humanity of Jesus Matters and Those People, The True Character of the Homeless. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, uh, George P. Fraser, the co host of Real Recovery, is going to be my guest. We'll be right back.
1: Show with Bill Arnold. Prime time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your
2: car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Yeah. It's the afternoon show with
0: Bill Arnold. Thank you for being with me today. If you're doing the reading the Bible together this Advent, you can experience the hope and joy and peace and love of Christmas by reading the Bible together with us. You can uh, start the first day of Advent, which is Sunday, November 27th. You can get your free study guide at myfaithradio.com. I think it was Dale Carnegie that said, a person's name is the sweetest and most important sound in any language. So my guest is George Fraser, and George Fraser is the co-host of Real Recovery, and George Fraser is my friend, and George Fraser works with men in recovery, and George Fraser watches a lot of hockey, and now I'm done saying the name George
2: Fraser. You know, I had a friend on this station, a good friend, Austin Hill. He was an emerging American mind. That's true. Yeah. Something that's not said about either one of us. (laughs) (laughs) is.
0: I would say that's a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. So, George, we're going now 11 years on real recovery, and we never thought it would last that long.
2: No, it's been a lot of fun, and I never get tired of hearing God's story in people the transformation and the redemption. It's incredible. It's, it's really been a lot of fun. So thank you. And thank KTIS for yeah, that.
0: Amen. So let me give you a little stat. According to the CDC, 107,375 people in the U.S. died of drug overdoses and drug poisonings in the last 12 months. And a staggering 67% of those deaths involved synthetic opioids like fentanyl. And some of these deaths were attributed to fentanyl mixed with other illicit drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, and heroin. And many users are unaware that they're taking fentanyl. This is a very dangerous problem.
2: It is, Bill. And what we're seeing now, when I was growing up, the gateway drugs, the drugs that you start with, nicotine, alcohol, marijuana. A lot of kids, the first drug is an opioid. And of course, when you buy it on the street, and that's what you do, you never know if it's laced with fentanyl. And that's where we're losing a lot of people. And also for opioid addicts, there's reverse tolerance. So what that means is if you're taking a certain amount and you try to get sober for a few months, if you go back and take that amount that you used to take to give you a nice high, it's a good chance it'll kill you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. We have lost so many people that we have known, George, and that we have worked with where they had a period of sobriety. They had a relapse, and the relapse killed them.
2: Yeah. I was looking today uh, at my desk. I keep a picture of our friend Rodney. Mm Mm-hmm who worked at the Salvation Army, and, and he had about three years sobriety and died of an opioid overdose. And I, I know and you know that was not his intention.
0: Mm-hmm. And, um, and George, when you look at some of the uh, this the strength of things like marijuana today, very different from 30 years ago, the potency level in weed, marijuana, is significantly higher today than it was uh, say, when you were in high school, which is more than 30 years ago, uh, so it's close to 50. Ah,
2: uh, you shouldn't bring that up. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it's a totally different drug, yeah, and I smell it all the time, and if you're listening, and if you're listening to this show, you probably don't get high a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the skunk smell. I smell it everywhere when I go Seriously? to Southdale Athletic Club. Are you kidding? Uh, oh gosh, it's all over. And you should leave the house occasionally, big guy. You know, you go out and it, it, it there, it's. I don't think it's decriminalized here yet, but they're not writing tickets for it. Mm-hmm. And that's not a great idea to make marijuana legal mm-hmm. uh, medically. Fine with that, but it and it is more powerful. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Bad trend all the way around. That's too many people to die needlessly, huh?
0: Yeah. Now, George, you're you're a relapse expert in terms of you can do great counseling, helping people stay on track and stay on course. And people love to change the way they feel. We all do, Uh, even if it's uh, an ice cream bar because we're feeling a little low and, and something that we would do just to change how we feel. But when it comes to certain chemicals or drugs or anything that could put you in a state of really an altered uh, place where you could get addicted uh, and get put yourself in harm, I want you, if you would, to share some of the ways in which people can do productive and proactive things instead of uh, considering other alternatives.
2: Um, well, the longest relapse- I've ever said on the air, too, by the way yeah i want to back up a little bit if we can and relapse isn't using it's the process by which we return to chemical use okay and i believe the reason we have treatment centers is people really don't want to quit okay if they did we could send them to detox for three days or you know maybe a week and they'd come out winners what we need to do is have a heart change not a behavior change and um God's the only one who can do that. I go to a treatment center on Monday and Fridays called Redemption House and that's in Minnetrista, Minnesota and their slogan is we worship our way out of addiction for his glory and our joy. And I think, Bill, the real miracle in my life, and you say relapse, relapse expert, mm-hmm. can't even say it, I did that personally, too. I, I could stay sober for three months, but I'd always go back, and I did that for about seven years, and the reason is I wanted to, and, and I think we do what we want to do, not what we need to do or should do or have to do, and... You can only do that on willpower for so long. I think Rick Warren says you can do it for about three months. What we need is an inner change, and our using is but a symptom. And so when we look at relapse as a process, and not something that just happens, it's good news. And here's why. I can identify that and change it. I believe Luther talked about most of christianity is repentance and in relapse when you start wandering away from god and going back to using there's warning signs Mm -hmm. uh for me i isolate i get intolerant uh and and you know like driving (laughs) today um I started thinking about opening the George Fraser school of driving <laughs> instead of, uh, and I, and I know I'm in a bad spot and I can identify that pray to God and change it, uh, irresponsibility, not doing what we need to do. That's why at, at treatment centers, they make you, uh, make your bed in the morning and a Navy SEAL general, I believe, wrote a best-selling book on that a couple mm, of years ago. Yeah. I think a- you're familiar with Admiral that. Admiral McCracken. Okay. And, uh, Really, really what that's about is taking care of business because in the back of your mind, you know, you haven't started the day off doing what you're supposed to do. Right. And I think for a lot of us in recovery and if you're a Christian, you're in recovery. Your life should be different than it was before. If if you haven't changed any since you became a Christian, you might want to look at that. Yeah, true. So we're all in that. But what I see with successful people to offset the relapse bill is we're very habitual people. We have patterns. And when you get sober, what you do basically is break your patterns. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You have to do new things. And I know for you, I was listening to your segment before, which was just fabulous. Uh you get up early, you have your coffee, you're in the word. I pray for sobriety before I get out of bed. I pray for the power, strength, and desire mm-hmm. to stay sober today. Because I don't have that some days. That's mm-hmm. God given. And if you're listening today and you're struggling with use and you can't seem to shake it, it's because you don't want to really quit. You don't want the consequences, but you like doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think God has to remove that. I think you're absolutely right. Now I do Did wanna, I did I answer your question? It was so long, you know, I got ADD and I just got it was drifting.
0: Well, yeah. I mean I stopped listening about halfway through, but it was good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kinda like our show. Exactly, kinda like our show. But I do want to let listeners know too that, you know, you pray every day for the strength and and um What's the desire? Desire, yeah, to stay sober, and you have thirty-eight years under your your belt right now, thanks to God.
2: Totally, yeah. I, the the real miracle about recovery is that not that you're not using, but that you're happy you're not using. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. Because if you think about it, the reason you go to rehab is because you you have to. You can't do this anymore because of the consequences. I think the Department of Corrections is the greatest evangelical tool we have in this country. I got sober because of uh, drunk driving charges, I had two of them. And I didn't want to quit drinking. And after the first one, you know, I'm so smart, what I did, I just won't drive when I drink. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had to go to treatment. And they wanted us to quit using. And my thought was, okay, that's fraud. Any idiot knows that if you quit drinking, you're not going to get a drunk. I want to learn how to drive and not get in trouble when I use mm-hmm. because I didn't want to quit using. Yeah. Does that line up for you? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yep.
0: I mean, you had an accident with, uh, I think, one of your parents' cars. I think you. Hit a pole going about ninety. <laughs> uh, honestly, George, I'm uh, you, you. should maybe not even be here.
2: Well, I was laughing not at the accident, but it wasn't one of my parents' cars. It was my mom's brand new Cadillac Coupe DeVille with <laughs> five hundred miles on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Um. And you hit a pole going about about ninety.
2: Yeah, I was trying to take the road as fast as I could, and apparently I went through kind of the woods for a while, you okay. know, and came back out. And I hit a telephone pole, or I would have gone into a guy's house. Wow! No seat belt. You wouldn't have been welcome. I probably wouldn't be now. I mean, that's a <laughs> given. But yeah, and uh, I had to go back a couple days later. You know, they took me to the hospital, and the worst part of that is my mom was dying of cancer at the time. I remember that. And the road to the hospital, or the way to the hospital, my mom and my sister were driving. Cause they got the phone call and they went by the accident. And my sister told me that my mom howled cause she, for sure I was dead. And mm. it was like, Ugh. Oh boy, but that wasn't enough to get me to quit. You yeah. know?
0: Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Cause you hear stories of people go, you must've hit rock bottom with that experience. And it turns out, no, that was not rock bottom.
2: No, my uh, main goal there was to not pile the new car she got after that. You right. Know? right. Uh, But I I think the other thing was around that time, my dad said to me, I'm convinced that I'm going to be at your funeral someday. And I said, well, say something nice about me, which I had to kill him, but it didn't register how much trouble I was in. Mm -hmm. The delusion is so strong, I thought I was cool. Um, I still have that delusion, but (laughs) you you know what I'm talking about. And um, I didn't realize how lost I was until years later Mm -hmm. and i'm horrified at it and um i think if you know somebody that has a drug problem and who doesn't they don't know how bad they are and when they get moments of mental clarity they don't know what to do about it Mm -hmm. because you don't want to give up the one thing that's helping you go on in your mind and the holy spirit has to you know, enter your heart and convict you, but at the same time offer you hope. And it's a miracle any anytime anybody gets sober. But the real miracle isn't not using. It's being happy about it. And I have an accountability group I go to with a bunch of guys in the morning and it was today at seven a.m. I think we should do it at lunch myself, but it's a great, you know, gathering. And the accountability group we serve other people. That's the great joy in our life. Mm. And when you see people come in and they're all beat up and they're crying and they're hurting, and three months later, they go, I can't believe how good this is, you keep it by giving it away. Mm, so true. But you can't give away something you don't have. Mm-hmm. All right, George,
0: um, take a break. When we come back, George Fraser Co-host of Real Recovery is my guest. (laughs) Inside joke there, George. All right, we'll be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have my friend and co-host of Real Recovery, George Fraser, on the show today. And if you ever uh, listen to Real Recovery, you know that you hear incredible stories of transformation. A person who has struggled with an addiction, and then through the power of Jesus Christ, they have come to a brand new place in their recovery. And I have to say, George, when we hear stories, and like you said earlier in the show, you never, ever get tired of hearing transformational stories.
2: Now, I think one of the things it does for me, Bill, I know there's a God. Uh, I believe in Jesus and believe the Bible to be an errand and true. But it really helps my walk when I get to see it.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, there's a God that I can't see, but I can sure see what he does. It, it talks about it in the beginning of the book of Romans about the, the creation. You can't deny that there's a power there.
1: hmm
2: I get that um, just as much as I do looking out at the lake now and the beautiful snow and, you know, it's open water. Um, By seeing somebody that everything was going as bad as it could, they were still alive, but that wasn't for long. And a couple of years later, they want to do our show and they might have a ministry going. We've seen that a lot Mm -hmm. where God's called them and, and they can talk to people that uh normal people can't because they've walked the road and what we say all the time on real recovery god doesn't save us get us sober without having a job for us to do and it's only in god's economy where somebody like me that was lost my dad said i was going to die everybody and i thought i was too and i didn't really care and i've been sober a long time and i get to help other people and uh, i got cancer I don't know, five, almost six years six. ago. Yeah. And um, who keeps track of that, right? I, I got do. so much going I on, do. you know. Yeah. I,
0: but it was stage yeah. four or stage five, maybe. It was really a, you were. Stage five is uh,
2: dead, I think. Okay, but well, I stage four, lung cancer. But But, and you were with me and I didn't want to die, but I, I looked back and I thought, I had a great life.
0: I get it, but boy, God has been so faithful in your life. I mean, you had stage four cancer, and I think the doctor originally said, you know, keep your eyes on the road, but you may not have a lot of time left, and that was six years ago. And I think God has been so faithful with you, George, and um, I am so grateful because I've been able to watch it myself and the power of his uh, transformation, and it's been remarkable.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a lot bigger than I, c- I can appreciate. I, I went in for... A checkup and one of the nurses told me she said you're a miracle and I said well I've always thought so yeah thank you for recognizing <laughs> uh-huh. it. I don't think that's what she meant um, but I think we all minimize God's miracle in our lives and there's so many of them in our lives right yeah so many and and it's so easy to do I never ever want to take for granted that I'm alive and that I'm sober Mm -hmm. Um, I never thought it would happen. I knew I should do it, had to do it. I just couldn't do it. And that's really when I got the powerlessness and surrendered.
0: Yeah. Now, George, when uh, we do Real Recovery, and we always try to include a a step from the the 12 steps, and maybe you would just briefly remind people that these are all biblically-based
2: steps, even though they don't come right out and say it. Yes, they are. And uh, somebody said one time that Bill W, who uh, with Dr. Bob, or the first two members of the recovery movement, that all he did when he wrote the, the big blue recovery book was put numbers to scriptures. What it does for me, it helps me walk out my faith. And what I mean by that, you hear really good sermons and I you know, I hear on your show guys all the time. I really have learned a lot more about God, Jesus, the Bible from listening to your show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think uh, My Faith Radio has a real ministry. When I first got sober, it was uh Chuck Swindell. Um, I listened to him every day.
0: Yeah, believe it or not, still
2: on the air. 38 years, well, it's more of a miracle, and so am I, you know? (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I'm sure more people listen to his show. But here's the deal. That Um, God has a purpose for you, and you might not feel it. You might not think it. But a lot of people, by working these steps in all areas of problems, they give you a path to follow. So when you hear a sermon and go, you know, it's a great idea. My big pet peeve is, okay, don't tell me what I should do unless you show me how to do it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's what the 12 steps do for me. They get it out of my head and into my heart and my feet. I can walk that out. I like that. You know, I can't do it. He can do it. I'm going to let him do it. Uh, Take a moral inventory, uh, confess, uh, pray to God to remove my defects, make amends when I'm wrong. Uh, Take a daily uh, inventory, and then seek through prayer and meditation um, God's will for me and the power to carry that out, not my will for God. And then practicing these principles in in all areas of my life, Mm -hmm. and I can I can try to do that. I don't do it perfectly, but it gets me into action. Mm -hmm. And I think for most people, they'd say that.
0: Now, George, with the holidays coming up, I would love for you to give some counsel for people who feel tremendous stress about being in an environment where there's an alcoholic relative or maybe they're doing their very best to maintain their sobriety and they know the pressure that exists uh, because of old patterns and old traditions.
2: Yes. And what I always tell my uh, clients, and I tell this to myself too, it, there, there's a time of great stress and if you're in a family environment, a lot of times you can act out and play your part. I'm the youngest, and I was the black sheep, and I can go into that. But I don't have to go. So if there's a situation that I don't feel is safe for me, I don't. I won't go. Um, we get into trouble saying I should be able to handle it. My question is, you couldn't handle it before. Mm why are you going to handle it now? And it's okay. you It's not a have to. Uh, one of the things that I always do is I always walk in with a Pellegrino and that's bottled water. It used to be period. That's how old I am. And that eliminates, do you want something to drink?
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: And I would practice uh, what I would do. But my family was so relieved that I wasn't using, that they didn't drink around me for a few years. Um, and any situation with alcohol for me, even still, I'm very aware of it. There's something there that could kill me. And uh, I'm aware of it. I'm not afraid of it, but I respect it.
0: Yeah, you've got and, s- and such,
2: I th- you've got such good go
0: boundaries around uh, your life and what you allow in? I, I I remember there was a cookie being offered to you about five or six years ago, and you said, "Is there any alcohol in this cookie?" And I thought, "What?" And you, you're just you're just so careful about what you put in
2: or what you have, uh, what you accept. So smart. When, when I don't when I don't know where it came from, I got um, shocked a few times with desserts mm-hmm. that there was alcohol in them, you yeah. know, like cake or whatever. And uh, I thought, okay, it doesn't hurt to ask. You know, some people might be embarrassed. I don't take it for granted. Do I err on their side of caution? Most definitely. But it's worked for me. And um, I get to see every day what happens when you go back. I I, I know two things. I've never met anybody who was sober and regretted it. And I've never met anybody who was sober and went back and it worked out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, good point. All right, George, we've got another 30, 40 seconds. I know you still love getting high. What's your favorite way to get high? Working out. Yeah, I knew that was the answer.
2: I asked a question Um, I knew the answer to. Well, you know, swimming, yoga, lifting, you're a workout guy. Um, If you struggle with staying sober, look at what you get from your using. I got high, I socialized, the stress reduction. There's different ways to get that. All you do when you use is change how you feel. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. Always great to talk to you. And I will look forward to Real Recovery with you coming up this Sunday at 5 p.m. And the show replays the following Saturday at 3. You can check out MyFaithRadio.com. You can look at the Real Recovery show page and see a very old picture of George and I. It's a lot better than we looked at it. Way better. They asked if we, if we wanted to update our photo, and we said,
2: absolutely not. No, we wanted them to take it down, and they wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> hey, thanks, Phil. All right, George. Thanks Rosie, too. You bet. Yep. See you later. Okay. George Fraser has
0: been my guest. We're going to take a break, and we come back. We've got our Red Words series. That's the words of Jesus. So if you have a Red Letter Edition Bible, you know that the words of Jesus are in red. And we're going to talk today with Anna Rask. We'll be right back